Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Recorded on the first day of San Diego Comic-Con, episode 49 makes you feel like you're actually there with Graham McMillan and I as we gossip, swap convention horror stories, talk about Ed Brubaker and his Onion AV Club interview, and then dig into comics like the Captain Britain Omnibus, Action Comics Weekly, The Career of Peter David, New Avengers 14, Marvel Season 1, and as ever, much, much more. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeffrey Lester, welcome to day one of the San Diego Comic-Con. Thank you, Graham. It's great to be here. Yes, San Diego is so sunny and warm this year, is it not? It is, and I have to say, it's never looked better. And Jeff, may I just say, you look spectacular in your swimsuit that you're wearing because it's so lovely and we're relaxing out here at the Wait Pool. Why, thank you, Graham. I have to say, I didn't think a lot of people could pull off the Speedo look, but you make it work for you. Well, I do that every weekend. I've been in training for quite some time, just getting my proper definition for the Speedos. Because, really, you want tight at the back, and yet prominence at the front, I find. Well, although I'm certainly looking at your dashing figure, I'm forced to agree. Tell me, what kind of exercises do you do to get that sort of look? I'm afraid I can't say that on a family podcast, Jeff. (laughs) Well, nice job calling my bluff, sir. Nice job, indeed. Hi, Uh, listeners. Hi. If we're not at San Diego, (laughs) you are, and we're not. I'm actually staring at a very pleasant wall. And yourself, Graham? Uh, I am also staring at your wall in my mind. (laughs) Um, I've decided that what we should do is we should do a podcast that just doesn't talk about comics at all in protest of the fact that neither of us are at San Diego. Oh, you're right. So here's what I'm going to open with. I made these spectacular chocolate chip cookies the other day. Truly spectacular with uh, almond flour instead of regular flour. Oh, interesting. They tasted wonderful. But the second day, it was as if someone had destroyed their stability. You couldn't even lift them up. (laughs) Really? They just crumbled in your hands? They just crumbled. They didn't even crumble in your hands. They crumbled when you looked at them. It was (laughs) the strangest, strangest thing. So all I'm going to say is this. Ladies and gentlemen listening, almond flour chocolate chip cookies, absolutely amazing. Eat them that night. (laughs) Otherwise, you won't have a chance to eat them the next day. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. Indeed. Indeed. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Wait Bakery. Wait Bakery, or Bake What? Oh, Jeff! There's the spin-off we've got to be doing. <laughs> Your cooking show? That would be great. I, I would totally watch that, where you just bake various we, things and we stuff. things in the comments as to whether we should do Bake What. <laughs> I, you know, I think it would be really interesting because you could bake all this stuff, and then I could talk about waffles at the waffle window some more. So. What we could do is, next time you're in Portland, or if I ever get down to San Francisco properly, I could bake and you could eat. Hmm. I, I like the cut of your jib, sir. That could be the special... It, it, we could go up against, like, The Chew. You know that new show they're having on ABC that's Mario Batali and the woman off of Top Chef? That could be... Like, we could corner the lifestyle comics nerd markets in podcasts. <laughs> So, wait, what What exactly, I'm sorry, did you say it was called The Chew? Yeah, there actually, there's actually a show starting, I want to say, like, next month, called The Chew. <laughs> not A-Chew, not Chew, because obviously no, no. that's John Lehman. 
Right. The, the chew. The, like, the chew. Yes. The, right. Well, I have to say that that um, sounds like it would be pretty easy to compete against. I mean... It's Mario Batali. Yeah, okay. Come that's, on! That's a minor setback, admittedly, but, you know, that top chef chick... You know. Oh, come on, she's awesome, Carla. You don't even watch Top Chef. I don't, you don't I even don't. Know oh, I thought, I thought this it's, was the chick who was married to Salman Rushdie. It's no, 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 it's, it's one of the contestants. Mm. Um, and she is, she's a character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's she's great. A, she, no, she's actually, you know, uh, I don't want to say watchable, because that sounds kind of patronizing. Mm. She's got this great, this very charismatic personality, and she's ridiculously full of energy. I can actually see her being great on television. That is hilarious. Uh, so, well, hmm, well, you'll have to watch it and see if it's the sort of thing that we can successfully mimic. Because I feel uh, like... Okay, I'll just pile on the pounds and like grow a really bad goatee, and I'll be Mario. Yes. And then you can be Carla. It'll be great. See, that's what I was thinking. The thing is, is you're just, you know... I, I, I feel like I'm one of those like sort of like guys with the mic. You know what I mean? Like the sort of wan celebrity, you know, quasi host, sort of Ryan Seacrest, except without all the charisma, you know? And uh <laughs> Please. I think we both know which one is the charismatic one out of you and Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> I will give you I'll give you the he is the hair. But yes. come on, seriously. No. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm not going along with your scheme to pretend you're less charismatic than Seacrest. <laughs> Although, if we remember, we have to finish this podcast with Lester out. Oh, oh yeah, I'll have to write this down now. That'd be great. <laughs> ah, see, I'm already looking forward to it. I got a catchphrase. This is picking up so much steam so quickly, I have to say. So listen, are you are you sad you're not at San Diego this year? You know, that is a very good question. I, I have to say, for one thing, I'm kind of in denial that it's kind of that it's happening i had i totally had that until yesterday Mm -hmm. and then i was like and then basically everyone started tweeting up to san diego and then today i saw photographs of like all the craziness that's happening around the convention center right and i was like oh i remember that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly like wow this is really happening people are really going through this and i'm not and it's this weird thing of i i don't know maybe maybe prepping to go to San Diego was one of the last rational moments that I would have before getting sucked down the hidey hole of San Diego Comic-Con itself. But I'm very shocked that I'm like, wow, I I didn't get ready. I'm not going. I still can't believe that it's this week if I hadn't talked to, say, Lauren Davis and, you know, the fact that I won't be able to hang out with her for lunch because, of course, she'll be down there. I'm like, yeah, I... You know, I definitely feel that San Diego is one of those situations where uh, this is the first year I haven't gone in like, I don't know, three years, four years or something. And it feels it feels like a relief, but it also definitely feels odd. No, I'm the same. This is the first time I haven't gone in about five years, six years. Um, and I'm simultaneously really glad I'm not going mm-hmm. and really, really missing it. Yeah. Right, right, right. That might be the... Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it is. It's one of those those odd situations where uh, it is just such a, a crazy sort of experience, especially the way you do it. I'm very much a piker compared to you. Uh, although I think... Well, it, a lot of that is why I'm not... I'm glad I'm not there, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I am 
there is nothing that makes me miss the not sleeping well because I'm so anxious before I go. Mm-hmm. The basically not sleeping at all, at least on one night of the convention. Right. Uh, you know, the, the idea that, even looking back, I can't believe that for the last three years, there's been at least one night every single year that I've not only not slept, but worked all the way through the night. Yes. And then at like seven o'clock, stopped working and then gone to eat because I've realized that I have no time to sleep before the convention starts. You know, yeah. I like that when you're not there. Mm-hmm. And it's not happening. You realize just how insane that is. Oh, really, Graham? That that's no. Because at the time, you get John. <laughs> at the time, I'm like, I hate doing this, but it's got to be done. Well, yeah, there is. Do you know what I mean? I'm so like, now I'm like, that, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know, the world will not end if you don't hit a deadline because you're sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it almost seems like you know. But it yeah. kind of seems like it will at the yeah. time. Totally, totally. Well, because I think there is that idea of there, there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of expectation. I mean, normally you're like right there in the middle of the action, and you've got all these events lined up, and you know someone's paid to put you down there. So you know you feel a certain sense of obligation. Yeah, that's just it. It's always been that someone's paid to bring me down. I don't know. Always for the last few years, definitely, mm-hmm. it's been that someone has paid to bring me down, and there's really been a sense of. I have to earn my keep. Right. Right. Exactly. And so when you do that, you're just running around like it, it does. It changes the, the tenor of things. Like all of a sudden you very much feel like, okay, I've got to work myself into the ground because I've got to justify this. I'm trying to think. I think the didn't, didn't the one year where you and I roomed together for the first couple of nights, wasn't that one of those nights where you like woke up in the middle of the night and jumped over to your laptop and start, started trying to post something? Do you remember? If, was if it I did, con? I was totally asleep. Because um, I don't remember that at all. You might be remembering that I just start work at like 6 o'clock in the morning. No, no, no. I, you know, I think it was one of those situations. Because I don't think we were, I was actually rooming at that point. I think that was the point where Edie and I had shown, Edie had shown up and I had uh, gotten a room with her. But I, I could have sworn there was one time where you were I, telling I, me. I, I want to say that was the next year. Mm, I bet it was. Um, which would have been the year I was rooming with. Oh god, I completely forgot. Is it Alistair? Yeah, I was rooming with Alistair, uh, and there definitely was a time at that point where, it, like, I was asleep for like an hour, and then I woke up and I was like, "I didn't write this." <laughs> and, and, but I think also that's one of those times where you're asleep and you just make really dumb decisions. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, it's very important. Oh, I know what you mean. I was sleeping and driving a car the other day, and I was like, "Should I get gas?" And I totally decided not to, and what a mistake. What? What do you mean? What? You know exactly what I mean. <laughs> no, when you're asleep and you make... I Honestly, I don't make any dumb ne- decisions when I'm asleep. You've never like, been asleep and then all of a sudden woken up, but you're not really awake. And the urgency with which you woke up sort oh, of yeah, carries yeah, through yeah. to whatever you have to do. Well, so literally, like you wake up and you're like, what would be, I'm feeling rather hungry, I'll just go back to sleep, if you were in your right mind, becomes, I have to make a sandwich right now. <laughs> Is it just me that gets this? I think it is just you. I have to oh, say. I, I, I wake up. Kate, sadly, has had to suffer through this on many an occasion. Where, for some reason, something is like the most urgent pressing matter in the world. And it can be, you know, I think I heard a cat outside. We should investigate. <laughs> <laughs> like, craziness. Um, and I can't. That, you know, that's... 
that's made all the worse because you actually do have a level of things you have to do. Sure, yeah. And and also, I caught, especially the last year or so, I've been rooming with people I'm working with who are similarly insane. No one is sensible enough to calm you down. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you wake up and you're like, I've got to write this. And they're either asleep or they're also in the frame of minds where, of course, you've got to write that. (laughs) It's like, I have to write something too. (laughs) No, exactly. Wait, you're writing. I'm not writing. Oh, my God. I I totally had that last year when I was staying with um, Stephen and Peter from Techland Mm -hmm. that I would get back. And I remember I got back from um, seeing Scott Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. And I had, like, a little bit to do, but not a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I finished what I had to do, and Stephen was still writing, and I was like, I should be doing something. <laughs> and, like, it's one o'clock in the morning or something. <laughs> and I have, I am meeting, I think that was the day where I was meeting, like, David Brothers and, and Sarah and, and everyone for breakfast the next day. So I had to be up. Mm. And I was like, at one o'clock, I was like, I should start this thing right now. Oh, crap. Purely because he was writing. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that, that's, that's very, very, very much what it's like. But I mean, also, not that you're dear for that when I was rooming with Alistair. Mm-hmm. The, at least one of the nights where, like, I stayed up to, like, I stayed up all night to work. Mm-hmm. Also happened because I got back to the hotel and Alistair was asleep. Uh-huh. And I was like, I can't put the light on and wake him up for me working. I'll just work in the lobby and then go to sleep. And it yeah. got to, it got to a point where I was just like, it's six o'clock. I shouldn't go back up now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it ends up that crazy. I remember. I remember. And I, as I recall, you had this thing where wasn't there some, like, big party going on? In, no, that uh, was last year. That was last year where I was, I was working and the Maxim party was going on around me. <laughs> So you're like sitting there writing and like the, what's I forget, was it the cast of Eureka or whatever stumbled by you or something? Uh, no, that was the next night where the sci-fi party was happening and it was, uh, I shared an elevator with the, the cast of Warehouse 13. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I was so wanted to freak out on them and just be like, I love your show, but it was just like, don't say anything, don't even open your mouth. <laughs> Mrs. Frederick, don't say anything. And I really was like, I can't say a word I am anything any noise I try and make right now is going to turn into I love you guys <laughs> uh, I know yeah no the, the Maxim party was really weird because it's just like um, I'm working and the, the party was not going on when I started working that's mm-hmm. that's important to point out I, again I started working relatively late because it was after some event right and so I want to say I started working at like 12 o'clock mm-hmm. um, and the party wasn't happening and then, like, an hour later, I became very aware that there were a lot of... First of all, there was a lot of loud music happening. But also, there were a lot of scantily clad women and overly dressed men around me. <laughs> and I was just like, what? what is going on? What is happening? I think it was only the next day I realized there was a Maxim party. <laughs> but there really was this moment of, like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Why? Why is suddenly my life turning into a Miami Vice episode? What, no, what exactly. is happening? But, it, but that's what it feels like. It's one of those. I'm either incredibly sleep deprived, or this is a very strange circumstance, or potentially both. But this is 
nothing in my life has prepared me for being in this stage right now. <laughs> because, like, the year before was the year you and I went to, God, an ITW party, an Oni party, whatever the party was that Brubaker was there with Zoe Bell. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was amazing. I, I do want to say, God, I don't remember what, I, let's say it was the IDW party. I honestly have no idea. Like, yeah. Already was, but like that was ridiculously showbiz as well. Oh, that was. But but, but, the, but the Maxim party was comedy showbiz, as in like there wasn't a celebrity there, but right. everyone thought they were a celebrity. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Well, I don't know. You know that that party with Fruit Baker and Zoe Bell was pretty hilarious because, of course, you know, you and I went to it. We had to, you know. I don't remember. Did we get in because of Meredith or because you yeah, actually no, had an invite? No, no of the it. best thing is we got in because of Meredith, who is Meredith Warner uh, at io9. And I'm just going to say right now, Meredith is probably the person that I'm saddest that I'm not going to be seeing at San Diego. Like, Meredith Warner is the reason I'm saddest for not going to San Diego this year. And she doesn't even listen, so I don't know why I'm saying this. Yeah, I was about to say, as um, for the people who do listen who are now hurt... Uh, <laughs> People, you don't understand. Meredith's like my little sister. It's interesting. It's true. Yeah. Um, Meredith, Meredith got us in, but Meredith got us in, and this is my favorite part of the whole story. Yes. Because Scott Lobdell got her in. <laughs> <laughs> do you know that part of the story? Yes, I do. Uh, believe me, the whole like her whole strange, fascinating like relationship with Scott Lobdell, which I, was, I like, think the fascination was in the other direction. Do maybe. Maybe. Uh, all I know, to me, I, I was fascinated by the way at which, that you know what I mean? It seemed a very uh, mutual relationship. I don't think that necessarily Scott Lobdell was getting out of it quite what perhaps he would have wanted to, but, you know, they somehow made the, made it work for the two of them. Because I remember him coming out and being all like, Meredith, hey, and she was like, hey. I'm like, wow. Huh? Of course, you know, now I'm getting ready to go in and, you know, name drop, like, the fact that we saw Brubaker and, and Zoe Bell. And well, course, what I loved about that was, like, Brubaker was like, Jeff! <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, when I meet comic professionals, for the most part, they're like, we hate you. And Brubaker was so happy to see you. Yeah, he is such a, he's such a sweetheart. He's such a sweetheart. And it, it's worth pointing out to the listeners that... Um, that Brubaker shopped at Comics Experience and had a pull list there for many years. Yeah, you you actually knew like you'd known Brubaker for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not not like super close, but uh, in that great sort of comic shop, spending time hanging around, drinking beers, and bullshitting about like what's your favorite TV theme song, you know that sort of thing. Like it was it was it was a fun time. So I'm always happy to see him, and he was. He was like, hey, and I'm like. Dude, this is this is wow, Ed. This is totally this is your this is your party. This is your life. And he looked around. and He's like, "Yeah, my life kind of sucks," <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was really hilarious. Brubaker is a funny, funny man. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you see his AV Club interview that came out? I guess just today or yesterday over nope. the Onion AV Club. I'm guessing about Captain America. You know, it's about Captain America, but the great thing about 
the AV Club interview is they really do interview comic guys the sort of the same way that they interview celebrities or authors in that they might have an especial piece of their life that they're interested in, but they're also kind of just sort of doing an interview overview sort of thing. So yeah. it's Brubaker talking about transitioning into the, the Batwoman, Catwoman side of business and then ending up over at Marvel. Um, and I, I didn't realize that he, uh, you know, as he goes on to talk about it, a couple of the things that he says is that he's overriding at DC and Wildstorm, and and Bendis, who he had known and was friends with, was like, "Come on, what's it going to take to get you know you over here at Marvel working with us? What character would you really want to write?" And he's like, "Well, I I, I kind of want to do Captain America, but you guys already have somebody on that." And apparently, you know, Bendis they, was like, they were like, "We could take care of him." Yeah, exactly. They're like, "No, no, no, no. I think that's a short term thing." And so they, yeah, so he had. Casada column. So just interesting. I'm trying to think if there's any really interesting fun facts that that came out in there. Uh, it's fun um, having Brew Baker talk about Batman and the fact that he was more inspired by the. He actually asked to write the Batman animated series comic strip at one point um, when they offered him Batman. He was like, "Well, I'd sort of like to do the animated series because that's my favorite." And he was like, thank God they already had a regular writer on that. So I ended up writing Batman instead because that, you know, it's a totally different career trajectory, you know. Yeah, that, that, would, have been, that would have been fascinating, though, especially if you think about what he's ended up doing. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and so it really does make for uh, – it's, you know, it's a fun article. I don't think that, like I said, there's little bits and pieces he talks about. Uh, the act of collaborating, you know, because he's collaborated with Rucka on Gotham Central and then collaborated with Fraction on Iron Fist. And he talks about the differences of the two of those. And, um, you know, I, 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 he actually did the best, I think, uh, description of his whole frustration with the, the, the Tea Party event in Captain America that, that finally really made sense for me. Because, of course, at the time, he was very much like, it's not supposed to be the tea party. It's not supposed to be the tea party. And I was like, ah, yeah, right. And he does say in this article, he's like, you know, in Marvel, it's not Exxon oil, it's Roxxon oil. You know, it's not the mafia, it's the magia. They're always one step removed. So the only thing that I was like... Was, Normally one letter removed. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, the tea party rally, he's like, I wouldn't have done that because it's just, it's one step removed. I would have called it like the the coffee party or something, or I don't know, the patriot party. Just something to make it one step removed. Uh, but suddenly it was this huge uproar and I was getting death threats from people for, I guess, just showing a rally in Captain America comic and having the Falcon say he wouldn't feel comfortable at an anti-tax rally in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> a black guy from Harlem is not going to feel comfortable in that situation. I was just writing the character he's always been portrayed. And so I did kind of like the idea of like, oh, yeah, I think that is a good point. Like, you no, said, but it's, like, it's also, I mean, it's also completely true if you read the comic. There's absolutely nothing objectionable in the comic. Oh, yeah. No, I, <laughs> so, I mean, it's like That makes sense for all of the characters. And anyone who thinks that at any point the Falcon's going to be like, those tea partiers have a great idea, and they're so welcoming as people. It's like, <laughs> really? Right. Well, but I also love the ideas, as he pointed out. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, the, the Captain America that, you know, like the great secret serpent empire thing where the, the president, like, is tied in with these supervillains and kills himself. He's like, clearly that's not Nixon. That's not, that doesn't what really happens in our world. And he's like, it's an important thing to remember is that the Marvel world is always, is a little different. It's, it's supposed to remind you, but it's supposed to be a different thing. It's funny you should say this because, uh, 
I've not read that many comics over the last week. It's just been another of those weeks where I've not managed to get to the store. But what I have been reading is the Captain Britain hardcover, the um, Birth of a Legend one, which is the entire run of the Captain Britain Weekly. Ah, oh, that's great. We were we were just talking about it last week that you were looking forward to. And up. and let let me just say, it lives up to my expectations <laughs> of being absolutely batshit crazy. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to see because I got a library, so I obviously didn't pay money for it. I'm not sure it's worth the forty dollars that they're asking for. Although it's like almost four hundred pages, but um, right. But just in terms of quality, <laughs> I'm not sure I could sell anyone that they should spend forty dollars on this comic. Um, <laughs> the reason I'm saying this though is uh, not only does Jim Callahan, the Prime Minister at the time, show up as Jim Callahan in the comic, mm. but so does the Queen. <laughs> the the Queen also. Clearly drawn by someone who has never seen the Queen, yes. ever. And then they did touch-up art by someone who maybe couldn't draw. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's really stunning. <laughs> Stun- like the, the images of the Queen are truly stunningly bad. That's but also, great. The Queen gets possessed and starts declaring war on Africa. I'm not joking, that's the plot. Oh my God! Is this a Claremont script? Who wrote this? No, no, it's it's um it's Bob Budiansky and Jim Lawrence. Ah, wow. Queen says, and I, I, of course, because but it's not Marvel, so yeah, they've got no problems using the Queen, right? Yes, exactly. But they can't name a real African country. <laughs> so she says, "I, your Queen, shall lead you to Africa to reconquer Umbazi for its rightful ruler." <laughs> It would have been so awesome if the next panel had been like, Umbazi, that's not a real country. Shut up, it's the queen, don't say anything. You know. But So after that, it cuts to Brian Braddock, who, even though he's British, and by the way, the couple of issues that Len Wein writes are spectacular. Oh my god, um, yeah. Says, oh my god, O-M-I-G-O-D, which Marvel did for the longest time, which <laughs> I thought was spectacular. Her Majesty's fallen under the same spell I did. Now what? Even Captain Britain can't stop the Royal Navy. <laughs> uh, oh, Captain, Bob Budiansky. It's, it's so amazingly bad. And the funny thing is, it actually starts off reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first Claremont issues, it's like Claremont and Herb Trimpey. Mm-hmm. Are like weirdly off kilter. Like someone's doing a really good, like the Ruttles, if that makes sense. Someone's doing a really good impression of something you know really well, but it's not quite right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it's got all the Marvel uh, attitudes and all the Marvel cliches, and it's still just not quite right. Um, but then Gary Friedrich takes over as writer. Oh, and I'm not joking. It goes to hell so amazingly quickly. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, but there's just some, I mean, there's some spectacular, spectacular things in it, even beyond the craziness of the stories. Uh, for example, the Red Skull becomes a villain for, I'm going to see how long the story lasts, because the story honestly lasts like for six years or something. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Um, <laughs> my God, where, when does the Red Skull actually come into it? Red Skull comes into it uh, in issue 16, okay? Wow. The Red Skull storyline is still going on when the book is cancelled in issue 39. What? <laughs> no, really. And then it, it's... No, sorry, it doesn't cancel. What am I saying? It, it, it stops just before that. It stops... <laughs> Maybe issue 30? Now, slightly before that, even. 
I got confused because at some point the book switches to black and white. Oh, really? Okay, it's, it stops at issue 27. Okay, so it runs for 11 issues. Jesus. Okay, the best part about the whole thing is that the next week part of issue 25 says, next week, absolutely the final chapter. <laughs> And they still can't do it. They have to yeah, go on the issue forever, forever. This is the final chapter. <laughs> oh my god, uh, that's really funny. So how long? How and, long and, were the chapters? Is it just like seven pages? Seven pages. So the, the next week on issue twenty six, which was supposed to be the last chapter, it says next week. Will you never win? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing. It, it's and it's full of things like that. The chapter titles alone are spectacular. Um, so many of them start with uh, dot, dot, dot. Right. For one thing. But also they're called things like While the World Gently Weeps. Oh, that's... They've a... kidnapped the Prime Minister is one of them. <laughs> um, Two Died with Honour. It's it's just... Huh. It's just crazy. Uh, if you can get it out of the library, because seriously, do not pay money for it. Right, right. I warn uh, you. I, I highly, highly recommend it. But it's one of those things that you read and you're like, someone has had a Marvel comic described to them mm-hmm. and then done their best to recreate it. Well, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think the um, seven pages and the Marvel style of telling a story are a horrible, horrible mix. You know? Oh, it, it really, really, really is. Because... Uh, but it's but especially the people, the way they're doing it as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Claremont actually makes it work. What Claremont essentially does is he writes a regular length story, uh-huh. and he'll just insert in a new first page. Mm-hmm. It's like a recap, mm-hmm. like going again. But you could easily take out his, the first page out of all of his chapters, and you'd have like a regular comic. Mm. Well, who knows? Maybe and, that was how he wrote it, and then it, you know, because he was the first, he thought he was writing for a regular length, and then they switched it up and they came with that workaround, I guess? It's possible. But, I mean, did, do the episodes seem to end with enough sense of drama or something? Or do they just kind of have that sort of like, uh... No, no, no. His episodes do. Oh, okay. So his episodes end with some, yeah. something resembling cliffhanger. Not, or if not a cliffhanger, then someone being like, and then what happens if I do this? <laughs> You know, it's really kind of a shame that uh, Action Comics Weekly was wasn't able to kind of yeah was terrible essentially because there's such a you know a lot of guys you know as we've talked about the the Brits learned how to write really short 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 comic stories you know for 2000 AD and stuff and then when you turn around. It's easier to expand out, I think, and even, yeah, I know it's much it's much easier to expand out. Yeah, so I think you know having the having a book where people could have learned how to tell weekly stories and cram in all the interesting stuff into six pages or eight pages every week. Really, if it had been successful instead of the horrific flop that it was, it could have really changed, I guess, the way the the industry works now. I have to say, you know, now that DC are doing their DC Comics Presents books, mm-hmm. their, their 100-page reprints, I'm really surprised we've not seen some of the Action Comics stuff reprinted yet. Mm. Especially the Green Lantern stuff. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sort of curious about that, too. I just get the sense that it was not... 
<laughs> I just think that nobody liked it. You know, it doesn't. I'm not sure there's really any champions out there. I mean, most yeah, of the, there, there's there's some there are some hidden gems in it. Uh, Martin Pascoe's and Rick Burchett's um, Blackhawk was amazing. Oh yeah, I would actually love to see that. That was really really good. Um, and they had there was something else that was really really good. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, um, Mark Evaner and Dan Spiegel did Secret Six. Oh right. Right, 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 right. Which I remember picking up and wanting to like, and not actually liking. So, and, but I mean, there's also complete, complete dogs in there. Marv oh, Wolfman's yeah. Nightwings serials were right, appallingly the, bad. Yeah, the stuff that I remember thinking that I I wanted to pick the book up and read it for, like Green Lantern and Nightwing, and want to say something else, maybe one of the rotating titles. I just, I was like, wow, these are really, like, this is bad. This is just, like, really has no steam. Like, they just couldn't pace themselves to save their lives. There is an amazing, uh, well, there's two things that, two reasons I wish they'd reprint the Green Lantern stuff. One, um, I would just like to see a collection of the later Chris Priest stuff that he did with Mark Bright. Not the first series he did that, like... Right. Star Sapphire killing off Catma, all that, which was just terrible and literally went nowhere and had a cliffhanger that wasn't resolved for something ridiculous like 20 years. Um, <laughs> but, and then of course, I think it was Jeff Jones who was like, I'm going to make this work. And you're like, really? Um, but his later stuff was, was really good and set up the, actually would have explained away Emerald Twilight if they decided to go that route. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it ends with him having to use a an evil Green Lantern ring, essentially, because mm. his own gets destroyed. Mm. And there's a strong hint that it will corrupt him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's your Emerald Twilight thing right there. It's right. an evil thing. Um, but also, Peter David came up with, like, really early on in the run, this wonderful theory that the idea of Hal Jordan being chosen because he had no fear mm-hmm. is ridiculous. And so what happened was the ring lobotomized him. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, Which I love as an idea. I love the idea that the ring's like, well, you're close enough, but you're not really without fear. I'll take care of that for you. I, I'm never quite sure how I feel about that idea, you know? I, I mean, I it's, it's kind of defeats the concept in a way. Right, Because <laughs> right. then you're like, wait, these rings are lobotomizing them? Oh. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I, I really like it as far as I like that it's not really contradicting anything, but definitely thinking outside the box. Yes. Yeah. No, no, definitely there's the... David's always really good about, I think, coming up with a new angle or, or something, or whether or not he can actually pull the stuff off, I think, is is another thing entirely. But certainly back at the time, um, you know, he's really pretty good about taking a concept and making it work. I, I'm very impressed. I have not been following it for years, but I'm impressed that that son of a bitch is still working on X Factor and has made it go. Oh yeah, he, he X Factor is his. Yeah, yeah, and I mean he's, and I think everyone's pretty happy with that. He seems happy with that. Marvel seems happy with that, and the fans seem happy with that. And that is such such a rare situation in comics, you know, yeah. especially these days. But D- David is such a weird writer, though. Mm-hmm. Um. I was a big fan of his Hulk work, probably up through the Gary Frank era. Mm. Um, 
And I think what I liked about it was it didn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a completely blanket statement, but I want to say that almost everything since then has been him taking himself too seriously. And the more seriously he takes himself, the worse his writing gets to me. Interesting. I, I kind of feel that for me the problem with, with David is that it's tone, you know, is that he's got for, – for somebody that's, you know, I, I think of now as sort of such a shticky entertainer type, he's done some stuff that when he's in that sweet spot where it, he doesn't take it – he doesn't take it too seriously. There's always some comedy in there, but he's also – telling to me an essentially serious story and he's not falling back on a lot of shtick and a lot of in-jokes then oh, no, it's no, very no. successful to me but then there's some weird you know it's almost like a, you know you're you're the celebrity baker graham you know when like something separates out and suddenly it's like you know it's inst- like a, a salad dressing is suddenly oil and vinegar and it's not integrated anymore but that that's kind of what i mean about him taking himself too seriously it, it, he he was for a while, I would say definitely the writer at Marvel who could best balance comedy and drama in quote unquote a Stan Lee manner. Right. And then at some point, he ceased to be able to do that. So he either takes himself really seriously or he goes for far too broad comedy. Well, right. Or my feeling is he he continues to do them both. It's just they've separated out. So it's like both things. Leave a bad taste in my mouth. It's like stories that are too serious that are alleviated by humor that is way too broadish. Yeah, and, and it'll be like one page, you know, it'll be like, everyone is dying, everyone is dying. Oh, look, here's a cameo from, you know, some random celebrity. Right. But I won't name them, but I'll drop enough in jokes. And it's like, that just stands out. Yeah. That doesn't lighten the story. That yeah. just stands out. Yeah, exactly. I, I really have some. So, I mean, admittedly, I have not followed his stuff very closely since he came, you know, came back to Marvel back and to sort Marvel, of yeah. clawed his way through it. And I followed the first couple of things of X Factor. And again, he's perfectly capable to take the. I'm still shocked that Bendis resolved House of M with a Deus Ex Machina character, you know? And we're like, okay, well, something's going to happen with Layla Miller or Taylor or whatever the hell her name was. And, uh, I think it was Layla Miller. I think you're yeah. right. Layla Miller and it's like uh, nope nope I mean Ben is like I could care less like, you know no, what it's I mean? really funny and he was like yeah someone else's plans for her and it really was wait you you just brought this character and it means nothing nothing I mean I feel relatively safe now that it's several years later and the only person who's ever used her as far as I know is Peter David in X Factor uh Who's, who's done his best to make it work. Yeah, exactly. But clearly was not the person who, quote-unquote, had plans with her. That It's like, okay, yeah, so you had no you had no idea. You just didn't know what you were doing with this. You, this was just your idea. This was an out, and, like, maybe you were going to return to it or make it be something. But you really didn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, like... Why super trying, but really? Come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I did... I didn't pick up a lot of comics, but I did buy a few, and I also read a few. And I read that, um, is it the Avengers or the Secret Event? No, 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 it's not Secret Avengers. It's the one where Mockingbird is talking and Avengers Towers falls down at the end. Oh, that's uh, that must be New Avengers. She's in New Avengers. Uh, that, that was some sloppy hash. I got to tell you, that was... Like, I'm reading that, and I'm like, I can see how Bendis has gotten from where he started to where he is at at that issue, but having missed 
all the stages in between, it's kind of staggering to me. I'm like, this Wait, is pretty... Wait, staggering in what way? Uh, in the not good way. In like, no, no, like, but in the sense of what is staggering? To me, what is staggering is you've got the issue is set up with um, Mockingbird giving her oral history talk about herself and she had almost recently died. And you see the first half of the situation being her coming back in, uh, well, I I think Spider-Man quitting, if I'm remembering the issue correctly, uh, because he doesn't trust what's-her-name who used to work for Osborne, Mockingbird. And... Uh, then wait, wait, wait! Spider Man is quitting. Not, I'm sorry, not Mockingbird, Songbird. Who's the chick who used to be in Thunderbolts who works for Osborne? Oh, you know, Osborne. The, uh, Victoria Hand. Yes, thank you. So Victoria Hand, who is now heading up the Avengers, because I guess Steve Rogers put her in the position. Spider Man's quitting because he doesn't trust her. There's actually a pretty decent little uncomfortable argument between the two of them where he just quits. But I mean, of course, it's like it's like Bendis. It's like, oh yeah, there's a little bit of he can write an interesting conversation, but the rest of the issue falls apart. And Mockingbird's talking about like her, like I had these powers and I knew I'd come back for a reason. I had to use these powers to help, you know. And <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I say that because uh, this week, last week, recently, I read uh, the collection of Jim McCann's. New Avengers The Reunion, which was like the immediate follow-up from Secret Invasion with Uh Hawkeye and Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. And that is completely at odds with her characterization in that book. Really? Her characterization in that book is, I guess you could read it like that, Mm -hmm. but it's more, I am completely fucked up by this. I am horrifically paranoid, and I have formed a secret organization to make sure that no one can do this to me again. Huh. Well, she does talk on the first page about the the idea that she's like a an agent of Shield, and so her training's about being invisible in plain sight, and uh, it's a jarring experience for her to be an Avenger. But you know, <laughs> but someone forced her to do it, right? Exactly. She's like, I rarely do public appearances. My ex husband used to call me the bass player of the superhero world, and oh god, see, yeah. that actually just annoys me because it's like no. No, that's not how it was. Can't you just go with how it was as opposed to try and rewrite it to make no, it... No, no, no. It's always rewriting it to, to, to have the more fresh take, which will lead us into the season one book discussion, I'm sure, very soon. Uh, but yeah, she says at the bottom of the page, I should be dead. I have to make the rest of this count. And then the scene, blah, 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 with Spider-Man, which I thought was okay. And then the next thing you know, there's the whole battle in New York... Um, where she's like, not long after that, an opportunity presented itself. And it's basically everyone fighting these stupid fucking mecha-Nazis that have been set up in fear itself that everyone can beat, but somehow continue to win. You know what I mean? Like, isn't that weird? Like, <clears throat> this whole issue is nothing but, like, you know, it's the new Mockingbird is able to, like jump around because she's got a super strength serum that has revived her when she was on the edge of death and now she's able to like you know jump huge heights and break it into these mecha nazi things and then pilot them and shoot you know other mecha nazis down and it's like all these things and she's having a good time and it shows her being like oh i like the new me and then avengers towers falls 
And it cuts to the interview thing, and it's like, Avengers Tower Falling was one of the sobering moments of my life. I've seen a lot of stuff in my day, but that was... I was instantly pulled out of myself. So ashamed that I was enjoying the battle. And... Uh, yeah, I... Uh, but I wasn't enjoying the battle. I was enjoying that I was alive. I had cheated death one more time, and I had... It was an all-new me. I was a super soldier of a sort, and I wanted to live up to it. But now I knew, once the tower fell, I knew I was being given this second chance for a reason. Once was, the tower fell, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, 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 exactly. Set the hell. I was going to do what a super soldier does. I was going to turn the battle around. I was going to take it right to the Red Skull's doorstep, and I was going to put my fist right through her skull. I knew why I was given a second chance, so I could kill the Red Skull. And it says, to be continued. And I'm like, man, you know, weak sauce. Not only is there like six pages of this, like, what, a two, four, six, like, it, it's ten panels of, and Diodato, I think, for the most part, does an okay job with a talking head. It's literally a talking head. It's this interview-type style format but it still slows things down, and it's this classic, like, okay, it's being told in the past tense. We kind of know she lives. Like, you don't even yeah, get to he, the end of does, the issue. He does that a lot. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so bad. It is so bad. It's like, I wish we could get in the time machine and prevent the Brian Bendis that was going to sit down and watch his first E! True Hollywood story and stop him you know, and change the future of comics dramatically. Because I'm, like, watching this going, really? This is... what? Like, yeah, this whole... What's the whole idea of, like, hey, I'm telling a story from the future, you know, so that it's this narrative trick that he doesn't really seem to get how it absorbs, like, just sucks all the tension out. I mean, he kind of gets it. Can, Can we now skip on to season one, then, and I can get on to my complaints about it? Sure, please. Season one is a terrible idea. Isn't it? Oh, my God. On so many levels, Mm -hmm. it's a terrible idea. And what's genuinely surprising to me was yesterday when I snarked on Twitter, how is this different from DC's Earth One? Right. People seem really in favor of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got really, not rude, but I got people going, well, it's good to be good. That's the difference. And it's like, first of all, I was being snarky. I wasn't really asking. And secondly... I, how is it going to be good? It, well, it's, it's, let me ask you this, because I had this same, the same question kind of going on, which was, how is this any different from X-Men Origins or Hulk Origins? Or what was that Paul Jenkins painting? Mythos. Thank you. How is this any different from just a larger, more expensive version of Mythos, the way they're pitching it? It's not. Right. Okay. That's what I thought. And I'm like... Mythos didn't really work particularly well. I think no, everyone's see, this like, time is going to work. Ugh, right. Because. <laughs> but it, I mean, it, it's the thing that's really, well, there's two things that are just stunning to me. Mm-hmm. One is that their choice of creative teams is just weird. Oh, so, so weird. I mean, I'm really happy I mean, to see Jamie McKelvey drawing anything. I mean, literally anything, but. Sure. I'm, I'm happy to see Colin Bunn writing i think colin bond's a good writer however when you're launching an ogn line and you don't you have you basically have none of your big names present oh yeah, yeah you're yeah. killing it in the drive market i yeah. mean you're basically saying i give up right 
Yeah, you're just saying, well, you know, but I do think, because Earth-1, I really get the sense of maybe there were some sales numbers or something that made the Superman Earth-1 model look really attractive to Marvel. Enough to where they're going to kind of do this, like, eh, we'll throw some really cheap talent at it. Yeah, but that's just it. Earth-1 worked for two reasons, both of which Marvel have gotten rid of. One... Because it's a new continuity. Mm-hmm. So you're not locked into anything. So right. there is an element of what's going to happen? Yes. I don't know. And two, J. Michael Straczynski is a terrible creator, but he's a name. Mm-hmm. Having Dennis Hopeless and Jamie McKelvey retell the incontinuity origin of the X-Men. Yeah. It's like, here is, at best, a pretty fetish product for the continuity nerds. Right. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. I mean, really, it's scary that the biggest name there is Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who, you know, like I said on Twitter the other day, write, wrote some really, really dull comic books. I mean, I... Oh, but now he's... Spider-Man Turn Off the Darks. Well, see, exactly. Now he can. Now they can slap that name on there. And I, if they're smart, they will, because you got to have something. But yeah, but I, it's just it makes no sense to me because setting it in continuity. Because mm-hmm. I mean, calling a season one suggests there's going to be a season two, right? right. I'm, I'm not alone in thinking that. Sure. Right. But why would anyone want to buy that if it's all the stories that are already available? You know, because it's not like any of this material isn't available, and the idea of well, it's kind of hokey. Mm-hmm. Sure, then that's what you do as an alternate book. That's what you don't say. Well, we're just retelling stories from a modern perspective because who gives a shit? Right, right. No, I know. I mean, it's it's classic. Who gives a shit? It's a you know, but it's this thing. They're like, we've got to get new people in, but we've got to figure out a way to sort of, you know what do we do with the direct market at the same place? Because people do. People, in theory, are interested in these characters and do want to start in on the ground floor. But, now, do, you, but do you know what you do? I said it on New Drama this morning. You do the ultimate relaunches OGNs. Mm, interesting. You put those creators on OGNs and you have your drive market right there. Also, it's already a jumping point for new readers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, if Marvel actually gave a shit on the, about this as more than an a cash grab that they are happy to see fail. Right. They could have done that. But given the lineup that they've got, the weak branding, I mean, season one, mm-hmm. it even sounds like Earth One. Yeah. Oh, it totally is. I, exactly. I mean, no, no, no. It, on, it honestly, honestly, it looks like a cash grab that they've not given any thought to. And they're, I mean, Dennis Hopeless, I have no idea who that is, apart from the fact that he was also announced doing a Legion of Monsters miniseries this week. Yes. Literally, he's come out of nowhere, and all of a sudden he's doing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, exactly. No, it's it's a very odd little... <laughs> you know, you you have that moment where you're wondering, what's going on with Marvel's talent pool? Is, like, what, Victor Gishler wasn't available, you know? Like, he's too, he's too <laughs> big Gishler's, for this project Victor now? Victor Gishler is too big trying to uh, get... He's too busy trying to get Dracula working. Oh, man. Yeah, but you can only do so much with it. You know what I mean? Like, ah, I, I don't know. No, this actually... Well, let me ask you. Do you think, you know, just playing the exact opposite of... 
insider baseball because we're both so outsidery. Do you think that this was thrown together super quickly in reaction to the DC announcement? Uh, I would not be surprised. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know. It just... I've, oh, by the way, just Googled Dennis Hobles and I've realized how he got the work he's gotten. Um, he's friends with Jason Aaron. Oh. <laughs> um, but I guess, I, kind of, maybe, but it also feels to me like it's a really cynical move for Marvel to say, look, OGNs don't work for us. Right. Right. I, I, I honestly cannot shake the feeling that it's a line that was created to fail. Mm. Oh, really? So it's like throw the minimal amount of money in it. So it's like some sort of like Disney corporation execs going like, hey, why don't we have more OGNs? Uh, I was having lunch the other day with so-and-so and the, that Earth Superman Earth 1 OGN sounds like it's doing gangbusters. Why don't we have one like that? And them going, ah, well, you should give us one like that. Uh, okay. No, I, I, I partially that, but also partially... Superman Earth 1 did really good in the direct market. It had really great sales, and they've taken JMS off regular monthly comics to do it. Hmm, I wonder if we can do that. I don't know, why don't we do it with some movie characters, and that way someone in the bookstore market might pick it up. Well, exactly. Uh, And very much from the idea of, like, but we can't afford to lose any of our powerhouse (laughs) creators to the OGN title, you know? So we can't really give someone because you can't do what they did with Straczynski. I mean, thank God Straczynski was in the the course of crashing and burning over at DC, so it suited everyone well as a potential cover story. But even if it was true, like you don't want to take I don't know Jason Aaron, who's now writing I don't know four titles or five titles. Yeah, but you're saying you do. You want to take him off, or you don't want to, but you can take him off a couple of those books. Mm, yeah, but. But Marvel is so about the grind, you know, it's so but, but it's, about pumping the, the marketplace with product. Yeah, but yeah, but this is the thing. The other thing is, chances are the big names don't want to retell someone else's stories for a living. Oh, well, that's probably right. Actually, I'm sort of like, whoa, Graham, we're talking about superhero comics here. I had to sit down <laughs> for a moment. I'm like, really? No, like, no, what no, are you, no, like, aren't you paying attention? Seriously, <laughs> try and convince Matt Fraction to spend a year uh, making Stan Lee's plot work for a modern audience. And the funny thing is, as I'm saying that, I'm like, wait, that's exactly what Joe Casey did for his Avengers miniseries. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> That is right. Avengers season one. Mm-hmm. It's just that it came out uh, under a different name and in a, a, in singles. And he kind of did that with the Fantastic Four as well, didn't he? As I recall, didn't he sort of take the Fantastic I, Four? I seem to like... Fantastic Four was like in between what we saw. I suppose Avengers Earth's Mighty Heroes is literally an adaptation of the first issue of the Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that is different. Right, right, right. Whereas Fantastic Four is sort of the in-between-the-panels kind of thing. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, I obviously were not was not following the books especially closely, but... Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, the season one just seems like a real weird... But it... it uh, it, but you're also sort of alarmed by how enthusiastically you feel like it's being received. Yeah, I was, I was really surprised. People were like, well, it's going to be good. And it really was one of those, why? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> why? Why do you think it's going to be good? Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I, it doesn't I, make I, any I sense. Just, I mean, the whole thing just upsets is melodramatic, but it's also not a million miles away from the truth. Because, yes, I'm happy Marvel's doing OGNs. Yes, I'm happy these people are getting work. I would be happier if those people were getting higher profile work and doing something that they themselves created as opposed to doing a cover version. Right. But again, you just get into these really, really blurry, blurry lines. I mean, what's the difference between... Uh, well, okay, I know what you're going to say. I was going, I was going to say, I'm like, huh, what? so your, your, your basic thing is the people, like Kieran Gilling writing Uncanny X-Men right now, is basically jellyfish as opposed to a Beatles cover band. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm not sure I would have said it like that, but sure. I guess the difference for me is Kieran Gillen writing on Caddy X-Men right now can, if he wants, deviate from the norm. Mm -hmm. He's unlikely to, because I think he understands that the norm is his bread and butter in that book. Mm Mm-hmm. But if he's like, you know what I really, 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 really want to do? I really want to kill Angel. Mm-hmm. Then he can. But if he's doing X-Men Season 1, and he's like, you know what I really, 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 really want to do? I want to have Magneto, I want to have an extra X-Man in there and have Magneto kill him to look like a badass. Right. He can't. Right. Well, maybe he can. I I don't know because they're saying they're like, well, it's going to be true to the spirit. It doesn't indirectly. But you know, I mean, all that stuff was just such wishy-washy, gibby-gabby lie words. You know, where it's like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was nothing about it that was like, oh no, it's we're trying to stay true to the spirit of the times, but true to the continuity. So it's not like that. It doesn't. These aren't. The, these are the stories that you know. But they've been modernized. I'm like, whatever. You know, it's gonna, you're going to open the page and it's going to be like Phoenix on page two, if that's what they want to do. Like, they'll keep them. It's going to be X-Men, Magneto, Air Force Base. But maybe they will want to, like, throw in an additional person to have them killed. Or I, I don't know. You know, I figure it'll just be the most boring thing. Po- the thing about all those people having actual... Uh, uh, God, ha- having actual t- successful movie tie-ins, I think is the problem, is, is that you're going to see all of those be kind of like, okay, make it a little more like the movie, you know? In the case but, but of that, that, or that again, That again makes me just like, why are people... Why are non-comic creators going to pick this up? Mm-hmm. Because they know the origin of the Fantastic Four. They know the origin of Spider-Man. And if they don't, by the way, they can see it again in next year's movie. Sure. Like, start with new stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't... But then there's that idea of, like, the new stories, and they... I think they, they... I don't think they could really... I don't think Marvel could have legitimately rebooted the Ultimates as, a, as an OGN line. I just don't think that they could have. Why not? I think because, again, there's that idea of, like, frankly, the Ultimate Spider-Man continuity is more fresh, and it's it's already out on the market, right? So... I mean, I guess you're saying is is they should just do the ultimate reboots as OGN. So whoever the new Spider-Man is, it starts off as an original graphic novel. Sure. Everything that's happened in the Ultimate Universe, doesn't that sort of imply, though, that people are reading it are going to be like, okay, stuff happened and I have to pick something else up? 
Like it, it depends how you do it. Yeah, I mean, because that's how all, you do that's it, always but... the case. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's always the case with comics, and that's why comics have always become marginalized over the but, last but fifteen that, to twenty. But years. it doesn't have to be that way. Right, I totally especially agree. if you have a new character becoming Spider-Man for the first time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You can just have there was this other guy, shit happened, mm-hmm. and move on. You're not going to. I mean, that series is going to be full of you know. As soon as Bendis gets a little bit bored, Aunt May is going to come back and be like, "Who are you, my my nephew was the first Spider-Man," or Mary Jane is going to appear, or whatever. I mean, it's right. going to it's going to be so strangled by continuity right but that's what but I'm it saying. doesn't have to be well I, well of course it I, I, I guess what I'm saying is if Marvel really wanted to do it and to straddle the existing readers and the new readers they could make an ultimate reboot into an OGN line and make it work that they don't is is almost beside the point you know, I th- so I think actually you're just you are frustrated and not upset, but annoyed at the the possibilities, the potential that is going to surely go to almost certainly going to go to waste here. Sure. Um, although, I, I, if pressed, th- you would admit that that Marvel is far from the best group to actually sort of. The chances of them fulfilling that potential, anyway, would have been pretty. Slight. Oh God, yeah, no, it's, it's almost. But that's the other thing. Do you not remember when Marvel was like the forward-thinking publisher? Why did Marvel become the conservative publisher? Oh God! Like, why, why did that happen? Why did DC become more forward-thinking than Marvel? Well, I mean, seriously, when did that happen? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the 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 glib joke is when the the market share suddenly turned like. Forty percent to twenty-eight, or oh, whatever it was. Did you see Bob Wayne's news around interview? No, where uh-huh. he says outright, mm-hmm. "We're not looking at market share." That's not true. He says we're looking at market share, but market share is not going to depend on how we're going to be a success. Uh, like he basically, when is that? When asked point blank, is this line going to be successful? You get to the number one market share. Mm-hmm. Says, "I don't think we're going to get the number one market share. We're, we're judging our success in different ways." Interesting. Yeah, it really is. I, it honestly reads as if at some point they've looked at the numbers and they're like, we're, we're not going to be Marvel. Right. We'll never win we, in we, the direct we, market. We ha- yeah, we have to redefine success. Right. Yeah. Which is, like, nice in a way. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to always try and out Marvel Marvel, uh, but also kind of fascinating. Like, is that why they're putting so much pressure on, not pressure, but so much emphasis on digital yeah because they're like because like we're not going to win the direct market right well it it makes sense to me everything that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks i was actually thinking about this um looking at just the number of people that i follow on twitter which are people that i know or people that have arrived at you know friends of friends or acquaintances of acquaintances or people in the industry or people friends of people of the industry like you know I have what I feel is a pretty random sampling of of people the majority of the people I follow on Twitter are comics people interestingly enough I feel like and maybe this is just because there are a few extremely passionate people on Twitter but I feel like the majority of those people spend a lot of time talking about 
DC characters. Do you know what I mean? Like yes, yes, I know exactly. I've uh, cynically always thought that the internet was so much more DC than reality. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think you're kind of right, and I kind of had that moment of like, huh, a lot of these people really do sort of care about the DC characters, like they're emotionally invested in them. And I sort of feel like it's sort of glib to say, but you know, maybe it's just because I'm not following the guys who like are all crazy about Wolverine, or maybe we don't talk about it as much, you know, but it's like, apart from David Brothers, who I know is a huge Spider-Man fan, and I am, or a couple of my other friends outside of Twitter, you know, it's like, I kind of get this sense of like, yeah, I feel like DC's got a huge untapped audience, and I think they may have finally realized, yeah, the direct marketplace is not the ideal place for us to to tap that. Well, if you think about it, the DC heroes, and it sounds ridiculous to say this when you consider how Green Lantern performed, but DC heroes are more widely known Mm -hmm. uh, in a pop cultural sense than the Marvel heroes are. Well, I I do think, and so if you do it right, Mm -hmm. then there is an audience out there. Oh well, that's it. If you do it right, it's there's a huge audience out there. It's just as far as I can tell the definition of doing it right seems to have been the DC animated universe, you know, the actual animated stuff, not the books, you know, for the last 10 years. I, Cause I do get the sense. There's a lot of people who are very passionate about John Stewart, you know, as green lantern because he's the green lantern that they grew up with. Cause they grew up watching the justice league show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, and no, I, I completely agree. I, I think if anything, the DC reboot is not, uh, going far enough, right? It's and it, then she yeah. really have looked at everything in all the different formats, yeah, and gone from there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I wish they had had a more of a long term sort of visionary plan than they had actually had, because I do think that that there isn't that those things those those characters do matter to people and. That they're out there. They are out there waiting. It is kind of silly that there's no Smallville comic, you know, that is part of that fi- that 52, you know? I mean, I don't really well, know it, if there were that it, many people it watching. It sounds not unlike the action comics is going to be a Grant Morrison take on what follows Smallville. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I guess I could see. It sounds, it looks very different to me. And I know that he's doing something different. But yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that there's there's things that it points to. Actually, what was it? It it kind of seemed. Didn't someone point out that it sounds more like the Earth One OGN Superman in some ways? Or is that? I mean, I imagine that that will change up dramatically as time goes on. I yeah, because if only because I don't think Morrison could write that Superman. I don't think so either. But it sounds like there's slightly more similarities in some ways. I Which, don't know. that again, is getting closer to the Smallville Superman. Is it? Smallville, I, I, again, I said this in the interim. Uh Every time Superman gets relaunched, mm. he always gets younger and brasher and more angry. Mm. And you can pretty much draw a line between all, all the different incarnations. Mm. Uh, and so I, I think that there's a, there's a massive crossover between like Smallville and Earth One, and probably Morrison's action. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think 
is going to be interesting is seeing where Morrison goes with that as a starting point. Because what the younger, brasher, broodier Superman they're describing is a starting point. It's not Superman. Because it's not who DC wants Superman. DC has this schizophrenia over Superman. Right. It wants people to empathize with Superman in Superman's comics. But it wants all of their characters to look up to Superman as a father figure. Right. And you can't have both. Yeah, no, it Although is. That's the truth. You can, but not if you want the reader that DC thinks they want to empathize in the way that they think they want them to. <laughs> wow, can I push you a little more on that? Because that's so explicitly constructed and yet not quite it's sort of vague <laughs> it at the same time. Doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. DC, DC wants, in DC's dream mind, they want the 18 to 34 demographic reader. Right. They want readers to empathize with Superman in the sense of he's just like me if I had those powers. Mm-hmm. In the Superman books, but in all the other books where Superman is an inspiration, that's not what they want you to do. Right. They want you to empathize with that book's character who looks at Superman as something to live up to. Right. And they're explicitly contradictory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've just got to settle on one. They just have to decide, this is what we're doing. Right. Well, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, I really feel like they think that if you the, – the flip side of that is something like Batman where you can have Batman be both at the same time. And they're just like – and it's – I think they're – they think that's part of the secret of his appeal is, is – and it's like if you can just crack that, if you can just figure out a way to have that – character work from both angles at once because because what happens is when it works at both angles at once it's really serving two distinct separate marketplaces you know Mm. the older entrenched reader and the 18 to 34 audience that they very much want but can't really seem to uh, attract without somehow you know pissing off the the older group you know, which again is one of those reasons why it's like, you know, Jeff Johns did this whole miracle cure of bringing back Hal Jordan and making him palatable. Uh, but there's still that idea of like, you know, but I think DC was better off when it was just Kyle. You know, I, I really do. I really have that idea of like, sure, the the title itself had kind of stagnated because nobody was really digging what Judd Winnick was doing and continuing to do. And, you know, Ron Mars kept stepping in and doing stuff, but, but Kyle seemed very popular, you know, the idea of Kyle. And, and sure. But the weird thing is Kyle might've been popular, but the Green Lantern book itself. Right. Exactly. Was so far, was so far, was so yeah, far exactly. away from, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no, but from what it originally was, it is, been ripped completely away from the original high concept. What a guy who who can't uh, who can be attacked with wood. I mean, I know what you okay, mean. Okay, the but... second high concept. <laughs> yeah, but, the second yeah. high concept. No, because he wasn't a space cop. Right. No, I know. I totally get that. But but there is part of me that's like I I sort of feel like maybe it's a good thing to change. You know, like. Space Cop is a great high concept, but maybe it's just a high concept that does not particularly appeal to 18 to 34-year-olds anymore. 
Yeah. Uh, I, you could definitely make that argument now. <laughs> yeah. You know? This summer, I think, might have proven that argument. Um, <laughs> oh, which yeah. reminds me. We keep mentioning that, but I don't know if you saw the numbers. I just want to mention that Green Lantern came in in the number 13 spot, having made for the weekend one million three hundred and fifty nine thousand and a hundred and thirty three dollars on nine hundred and seventy three screens. Oh man, I noticed that it's actually gone from I think all of the Portland cinemas already. Yeah, I mean it is it's it's rough. The thing that I think is really interesting is at number fifteen, X Men First Class has made six hundred and thirty five thousand dollars, but it was in approximately half the theaters of course it has been out two weeks longer and its gross is 30 million dollars higher yeah so it's like i mean that to say nothing of the fact that x-men first class i mean it cost them some dough to make but it did not cost green lantern dough so no it's something ridiculous like half the price isn't it yeah yeah exactly so it's it's kind of a it's a massive drubbing like that that is i just you know of course i looked because harry potter made so much stupid amounts of money um and then you see green lantern down there at number 13 at the same like it's just wow is it a huge difference and it's it's kind of funny because there's a, a statement from a warner's executive who's essentially like Harry Potter is such a success. We hope we can keep the magic alive with our future films. And it's like, I'm not the DC ones you got. Well, you see, that's it. I mean, they've got to turn to that because it is I, it, it is one of those things that, um, you know, Diane, what's her name? Nelson. Uh, yes, Nelson is is still pretty safe. You know what I mean? Like at, with, with Harry Potter, like having done all that, they're like, okay, Warner's is really going to be feeling the... Um, feeling the pressure now. They need new franchises and they need them badly, but at least they've still got ridiculous amounts of cash rolling in from Harry Potter that it's going to end up, you know, that, that it ended up being such a sweetheart deal for them. The other thing is that Harry Potter still has a lot of cash left in it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Because they can do special edition reissues. Mm-hmm. Just all the DVD back end. I mean, there, there's a lot. Of, Harry Potter is going to be, keep them safe for a few years yet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's just not going to be that huge earner, and they want that huge earner. You know, they want. Well, they a, kind of need that huge earner in order to be competitive. It's the thing. But at the same time, like next year, they've got uh, Dark Knight Rises, so they're they're fine. Right. Well, see, that's it. But Dark Knight is also being put as the end of the tr- of is the end of the Dark Knight legend. Yes, that's exactly. what it says in the trailer. I know. I I really wish. Yes, I did. And I, well, it's a teaser trailer. But I really, God, I I wish we could have gotten a video camera to like record your reaction as you watch that trailer. <laughs> that would have been the best. You know, honestly, as soon as they cut to Gary Oldman in the bed, uh-huh. where were you? And I was just like, really? You're doing this? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't Christian Bale off cover. He's like, what if he's gone and he can't come back? It's just, oh God, no. Yeah. Although, yeah. On the other hand, uh, I love the Avengers teaser that's an end of Captain America. Oh, I, I saw it on such a shaky, bad bootleg. I was like, 
I can't see anything, you know. But yeah. I, I just, I love the tagline. There's some assembly required? Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I, really I, clever. I think that's really cute. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they've got... Um, yeah, no, they're just firing along. I was surprised that that trailer looked more interesting to me. And it's just a teaser, for Christ's sakes. But I was Talk, like, yeah. Talking about teasers, have you seen the Spider-Man one? Uh, oh, that was the other one. I take it back. Avengers looked okay. It was the Spider-Man I tried to watch. And it was so dark, I couldn't see anything. I, There's actually, they've officially released it. It's online. Oh, okay, great. I should um, look at it. And... Wow, I'm so excited that you get a CGI Spider-Man running around the city. <laughs> Oh, You've got yeah. all the scenes of Andrew Garfield and mm-hmm. Emma Stone. And Emma Stone, by the way, looks amazing as Gwen Stacy. I'm, Doesn't I'm she? Stunned. I'm like, wow, you really look like Gwen Stacy. I'm, I know. I, I still, I, uh, Andrew Garfield, I still don't really buy as Peter Parker, but at the same time, I buy more as Peter Parker than I did Tobey Maguire, so sure. And I really like Andrew Garfield as an actor. So. Exactly, right, yeah. Sure. Um, but so they've got all that, and then the, the last maybe 30 seconds of it is... Spider-Man jumping around the city from Spider-Man's point of view. So basically right. it's like CGI city, occasionally see a leg and everything. And it's just terrible. That's a terrible effect. That will, <laughs> I'm willing to bet that will not be in the video movie. Game. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's got to be like, we have to have something for Comic-Con, yeah. rush it out. Because yeah. it looks terrible. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's one of the things I find fascinating about CGI footage is they'll show something and you're like, oh, that looks awful. And then but of course, as they add more and more effects and more rendering and up, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that looks okay. And then it's like, oh, hey, that looks great. But I mean, I there's no way. Like just looking at it, it was really that moment of like, oh, wow, I guess Spider-Man really doesn't work in real life. You know what yes. I mean? Like, you really I guess get Spider-Man that moment. kind of looks ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. like there, there's the idea that some guy is actually going to be running from rooftop to rooftop and webbing and is actually making any kind of leeway or doing anything other than showing up for every fight going, okay, I'm okay, give me a... Just wait a minute. I'm ready to start fighting, but holy crap, okay, hold on. Jesus, I almost died like three times. <laughs> hey, did you see... Um, are you reading Dan Slott's Spider-Man? Amazing I'm not. Spider-Man? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm torn about it, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I really am. Um, the most recent issue is one of those issues that I kind of both really like and really hate at the same time. Right. And I can't work out why either. Interesting. Um, the plot is that Peter is... There's actually some really nice scenes in it, and actually it ties in with what I really like about X-Men Schism, mm-hmm. which is in X-Men Schism, Jason Aaron does a really funny... I guess it's like one joke, but it's a joke that kind of lasts a, a few times. Mm-hmm. That Wolverine is so busy mm-hmm. being in the Avengers and the X-Men and doing soul stuff that he's just exhausted. <laughs> and it, it's about where he's more or less like, I'm going to sleep for three days. Unless the Sentinel's stacking, you're going to leave me alone. <laughs> and like people are like, we've got to train, and he's like, no, no, we're not training. I'm going to sleep, um, which is really cute. Like, I really, I, I really like that, and that's like the one thing from Schism that I thought was worthwhile. I thought the rest was terrible. Um, but Amazing Spider-Man is the same thing. It's Peter Parker is so busy being with the Fantastic Four and doing his own solo stuff and being with the Avengers that other stuff is dropping off. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's dropping off is he has a regular Friday night date with Betty Brand and he doesn't go with her and she goes herself and she gets mugged and she almost dies. Mm. And he 
of course, flashes back to I wasn't there for Uncle Ben, I wasn't there for her. Mm-hmm. And it's... I really like that. And also, I think that's so cheap that I hate it. Right. Right. And I can't... It's not like I could be like, well, if you took this out, then this would be really good. Because mm-hmm. it's, I, it's... I both like and hate exactly the same thing. Well, yeah, exactly. Because I think that is the... This is, this is my... This is what I think is the big problem, is I, I'm, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, but I, you just can't read Spider-Man books for like 30 fucking years, you know? I, maybe you can, and I'm doing it wrong, but I mean, I know exactly what you mean. That shit is, it's, you know, it's precisely what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be melodramatic. It's supposed to play on Peter's sense of responsibility, his kind of outsized sense of guilt. But you also have this stage of like, okay, enough already. You know what I mean? At least this is me. Maybe I'm misunderstanding things. Maybe it's maybe you would have liked it if the execution had been different. But I think the problem about that is if you think about it from the sense of like a normal human being, you kind of if that had happened with like you or me or like you were supposed to get together with Douglas Wolk and like something and you didn't and then something happened to him, like you'd feel bad, but you wouldn't be like, I'm going to chew myself up about it you know what i mean like there's actually i probably would actually you being you you probably would and people would be like graham <laughs> there's no reason for you to and also like peter parker i would then go out and try and find the mugger right of course you would but i think there's there's this element of um uh it's just so narrowly circumscribed you know what i mean like it it just it just becomes I don't know. It, again, it's it. Maybe it's just me. It's I just I need to I need to listen to a different type of music after a while. And it's like you can throw on like you know the original Beatles record and enjoy it, or like Jellyfish if you like went through a period where like that was like your favorite band, or you know. But at a certain point, you're just like, man, I do not want to listen to the 19th album by this guy. Like, no matter how much I love them, I do not think that there is any performer that I own all of their albums unless they died and there were only three albums. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it's really weird to me that we feel like that should be the case with Spider-Man is like, at a certain point, I don't feel like Dan Slott's doing anything wrong. As far as I can tell, a lot of people think that Dan Slott's doing Spider-Man pretty right. No, but but that's just it. Like, I feel like Dan Slott is doing Spider-Man right, and yet also wrong. Right. Well, but, and here's my thing. And and I think think it might be what you're saying. It might be that I read so much Mm Spider-Man that Spider-Man can't be done right for me. That, that doing him right. But I, I've burned out the rightness of Spider-Man in my brain. Mm. It's a really depressing idea, and I hope I'm ter- I hope I'm wrong about that. And I, you know, of course, I think oh, that's. See, I, 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 yes, I want to. I think you're onto something, mm-hmm. but I also think about all the other characters that I've been reading as long as I've been reading Spider-Man, if not longer, and I don't have that about. Right. You know, so yeah, maybe it is. Maybe there's something that you'll be able to hit. Maybe that's just, I mean, that's kind of the, 
you know, with great power comes great responsibility is such the, you know, it's like you sort of at least want the idea that you can get a more mature sense of what that means, not just like, I'm going to go out and go crazy trying to find the mugger. I mean, I think we, the idea of Peter Parker being haunted, you know, and driven and not altogether happy is a sort of Spider-Man that we like. But it could be that, that, you know, you want a little more variation in exactly how he's driven or what's making him unhappy, you know? And not in the, oh, I have a bad marriage kind of way, apparently. But, you know, in some different way, I guess. You know, I mean, one of the things I thought was interesting about this Avengers issue is... um, So there's this thing where where Spider-Man is saying, like, I don't trust you, I'm quitting this team, you know? Mm-hmm. And and the woman's like, that's crazy, how can you not trust me? I was the one who was, like, put in jeopardy, and he's like, yeah, but there wasn't any problems with you, you're fine, and, you know, Mockingbird almost got killed, and he's she's like, I'm on your side, you jerk, and he's like, you're on Osborne's side, and I'm not going to hang around and wait for you to double-cross and kill us. You know, and it's like, and everyone's like, you're being really unfair. And he says something along the lines of like, hey, fine, you guys all get killed by her. See if, see what I care, you know? And what I thought was kind of interesting about that is, um, is the idea that if Spider-Man really felt that way, he wouldn't really leave the team. You know what I mean? Like there's no, no, that it, weird element of like you can see the psychology of it and it makes sense, but to me, that's precisely why Spider-Man would stay on the team. Yeah, exactly. Spider-Man is for Spider-Man to be Spider-Man, mm-hmm. he wouldn't say, "I think you're all in danger. I'm getting out of here." Right. That's like the opposite of Spider-Man. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, admittedly, one of the things that's been fun about rereading the Spider-Mans from 120 on is how much of a hothead <laughs> Peter Parker and Spider-Man are. And I don't know if that's how they wanted to write the idea of Peter being young. But, man, Peter Parker can be a dick in those issues, you know, because he's like, fine, ladies, see if I care. No one's going to kick around this guy anymore. And it's like... Dude, that was just Mary Jane wondering why you were six hours late. I think that's a fair question, don't you? You know, <laughs> but there isn't. There it isn't does make a, you wonder what Jerry Conway was like in his day to day life. Oh, so I, I think he, he. Oh man, that guy seems like yeah, exactly. I was like, hmm, Jerry Conway. I like how you write Spider Man, but boy, do you seem like a turd to me? You know, and he he was probably a swell guy and was just trying to mimic this stuff. But yeah, when he like. There's just so many, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm halfway convinced that the Marvel bullpen in the 70s was filled with rageaholics. Because the number of scenes where, or maybe it's just like, you're getting to the end of a page, you've got to have a decent page turn. Oh, I know, have someone storm off angry. Yeah, because there really was a lot of storming off angry from, I think, in every book. Every book. Every book. And not always the same character. Sometimes it's Mary Jane storming off angry and Peter's going, wait, sometimes it's Robbie Roberts. And they, they always do it by, like, sweeping their arm over their chest. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. While someone stands behind them looking in shock. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's it. I quit. Right. I, I'm, I've I'm, had it. I'm doing the hand gesture right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually but, did too. I did the hand sweep. But yeah, it's that classic. They have to spin away so you get the classic soap opera. You get to see both their faces at once in the same panel kind of thing. Um, 
you know, like maybe all that stuff is again just just to keep the keep the soap opera going. And they they were all like, I never have had an argument with anyone in my life. Uh, exactly. Yeah. This is how people argue, right? Right. I'm so but, but I've heard. But there's a lot of um, a lot of things in comics where it's like that, where you know, there's seduction or or oh, yeah. banter, and it's honestly like. You've never met a woman, have you? you right. You've, you've never ever met a real life woman. Yeah. Because there's no way you could think that anyone would not just a laugh and b walk away shaking their head from this. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, there is just so much. Well, and I, I do think that that is one of the weird aspects of um, one of the things that really was so revolutionary about Stanley's Amazing Spider-Man is he really. In, he does invert that fucking paradigm like super early. Like no matter how much Peter Parker is like, oh, Flash keeps dumping on me, or oh, there's this going on, or oh, I'm. His life as Peter Parker gets dramatically better in a short period of time, where women are interested in him. Like he doesn't really have to like. He doesn't know much, but women are always like, oh, that Peter Parker. He steams my clams. I wonder what. I wonder. I wonder why he won't let me talk to him. You yeah, know, that wh- kind of what, what is he hiding? What is he hiding? He's so mysterious, you know. And it's it's like Peter Parker is like is this huge vicarious, like that's where that's that's what your teenage boy romantic fantasy is. It's not about like flying around the city and like punching people in the face. It's like. Girls are interested in me because I don't know how to talk to them. Yeah, but it's also girls are interested in me because I don't know how to talk to them. But they don't come out and say it. Therefore, I can convince myself this is what's actually happening in life. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because at no point right. in Spider-Man does anyone actually do anything logical. Like I, I should say, in the original Spider-Man, right? Does no, do anything that's logical is just like come right out and say it. Do you know what I mean? So you'll right. have Peter is in love with Gwen, but can't tell her. And so he just pretends to be her friend, and she's in love with him, but can't tell him, and so they're just friends. And right. the the lack of them, either of them actually doing anything about it or talking about it, right. allows the reader to actually convince themselves that that girl that they are crushing on might actually be crushing on them as well. Right. Which, you know, honestly... Oh, it may, you, may, may be true. Yes. I mean, you grow up and you find out later that that, that was the case for, you know, five to seven days, you know, <laughs> teenagerhood being what it is. And, uh, you know, I think that I, 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 I'm just impressed that that is, to me, really kind of the secret is, is that, you know, which is why bringing John Romita in after Steve Ditko left was such a masterstroke. Is understanding it, it, it is, what's that? I was going to say, it is hilarious when Romita comes in, and it's not just that Peter's life has gotten better, but Peter's life all of a sudden looks better. Oh, it looks, yeah. It looks fantastic. You're like, oh, I, I, Peter Parker goes from the nerd who escapes when he becomes Spider-Man to the guy whose life you want to escape into. Yeah, exactly. Even, even when you're outraged now, right. you're like, wow. I want to go and hang out in the coffee bean. Seriously. Yeah. No kidding. Like, I, like looking, like having like sort of the pull between Mary Jane Watson and Gwen Stacy. Like, there's worse ways to live your life. And he's riding around a motorcycle. But the trick is, is then on the opposite side of the spectrum, Spider-Man is being hated and accused and haunted and hounded and shit on, and you know, 
first it's the inversion of the dynamic and then I think to me, you know, which is something that I wrote way back when around Civil War Two, I think, the idea is that Spider-Man and Peter Parker really can't be in sync to me. It's like either Spider-Man's life sucks and Peter Parker's is kind of okay for a moment or Spider-Man's oh. suddenly doing great and Peter Parker's life is just in... Yeah, sure. you, you can't have both of them going well or both of them going terribly because one of them always has to be an escape from the other more right. than any other superhero. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and And it's... But just having that, just having that just that inversion and later that just sort of that flexibility really does make it a, a, a profoundly different experience in some cases than, than what you were looking at beforehand. You know? um, Spider-Man, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Lester's just figured it out. Dan Slott, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> exactly. Dan Slott is sitting somewhere going, I knew that! Je- Jesus Christ! Spend you guys think I don't know this? I've been reading Spider-Man for fucking decades! <laughs> what, you guys Here's... want a stupid medal? God damn it! I, ah. Here yes. is the last thing I want to say about season one to go way back to this, because I've had this webpage open since we were first talking about it. And I don't know what to say. USA Today's first announcement says... Marvel is launching a season one line of original graphic novels, the publisher's first next year, to honor the company's 50th anniversary. Two things. One, it's not their first uh, line of original graphic novels. They have one in the 80s. Two, the company's 50th anniversary is this year. Yes, not next year. Yeah. Yes. Good job, everyone. <laughs> yeah, well done. Well, I mean, really, that's, that is just, that's everything that you want from a reporter. Like, you tell them that, and they're like, okay, I'm printing that up as exactly. fact. That's great. Right. I mean, because they don't turn around and go, wait, but I thought I was just reading the other day that Captain America came out, like, back in 1939 for Marvel Comics. How's that 50 years? You know, because we all know what's going on, you know? I am really happy that after celebrating the 70th anniversary last year, they're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary. Dude, Marvel Marvel is like... <laughs> the so secret great. to Marvel really Comics is... That. Yeah, it's like Marvel Comics. Fuck numbers. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, fuck them. It's it's a new number one, followed by issue eight hundred, then issue five, then it's a special anniversary issue celebrating our nine hundredth year. You know, it's like just fucking go for it, because everyone's like, "Ooh, the nine hundredth year of Marvel Comics." I got to pick that up. I have to say, I really want someone to come up with a t-shirt that says "Marvel Fuck Numbers." It, it would be kind of great. It's no clusterfuck buddies, but it would be like, yeah, fuck numbers, man. Seriously, they do not give a shit. And it is really impressive that everyone just goes right on along with it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Five Spider-Man, goes after... Spider-Man 900. Awesome. I can't wait to read it. Five comes after seven? What a relief. You know, I always suspected, you know, yeah, like, fuck it. Yeah, they just, they, they do not care. I mean, and that's really become more and more true over time. Uh, and weirdly, the direct marketplace is like, okay, I will. Like, yes, thanks. <laughs> Can we have some more? <laughs> totally. God, I know. We really did talk for a long time last it, week, didn't we? It we really did. It really did. Even Edie, who's like used to saying, you know, you guys talked for a long time, like came out and was like, oh my God, no, seriously, you guys talked for a long time. So, yeah, I suppose we should wrap that up. Is there anything we should say to the listeners? Before there is we... something you should definitely say to the listeners, Jeff. Fuck numbers. No. <laughs> No. Oh my god! Everyone. San Diego. Oh, oh, right, right. Sorry. God damn it. Seacrest out. 
Um, no, I suppose say it is Lester out because I don't want to say that. It just sounds bad. Can't we talk about San Diego again? Can't we like pretend that we're there? Like I don't know. In San Diego, yeah. I, I, I am. I'm... I don't think anyone believed us anymore when we were first doing it. They'll probably buy it just the same now. So as long as we don't talk about ourselves in speedos again, because that that went horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> Super fast. I was like, you're like, yes, the exercises tighten the front and loosen the back, or vice versa. I'm like, I don't even know what he's saying. My God, tighten the front, loosen the back. You're definitely doing a wrong, Jeff. Dude, I, I dress like a comic book nerd. That's the point. It's technically uh, um, supposed to be uh, loose all over. Like, I was stressed by super, like, you know, the idea that if someone fires a bullet at you, they might not be able to hit you in those clothing. You know, who knows where you are in there? You know? No, you wear loose clothing when you're a superhero because you have your skin tight costume underneath. You're hiding the fact that you're already wearing clothes, normally including a cape. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, there is, oh, I am, I am Warren also Worthington, doing that, you, that you is true. You strap your wings on as well. You've got to hang your wings. Wasn't that a crazy thing? Like, I really got to give it up for Jack Kirby that he was <laughs> no, totally no, like. I like, then everything looked normal. And then he'd be like, I'm getting changed. And it'd show you with the wings still strapped down, but all of a sudden it'd be above his head. Yeah. Like, seriously, what are you doing? You fold them over your shoulders? Yeah, seriously, how do you wipe that? I know, it made no sense. Like, it would be kind of great if if it was one of those situations where Warren Worthington, A, looked like a hunchback because he was hiding those wings and was such a pissed off dick because he was having parts of his body strapped down. I mean, it really, it, it made no sense, but it was, that's part of why it was Kirby and part of why I loved it, you know? The, the other thing I've read this past week is the um, X-Men Omnibus Volume 2, mm. which is the second half of the original run of the X-Men, mm-hmm. which also has, though, the really rather rare Angel solo stories from Kazar and I think Astonishing Tales. Yeah, Astonishing Tales. Wow, that's right. God, um, they had those. Which are, are weird. Yeah, who who was doing those? Was that it's like... Jerry Siegel and uh, I want to say maybe Don Heck, maybe Bernard Roth. Wow. Um, but what's really crazy about it is it's really important to X-Men continuity. It's where Warren's dad dies and he becomes rich. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I like, I, I think that must be the first time they've seen print in that book. Mm-hmm. Like, in decades. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever reprinted those. I mean, by anyone, I mean Marvel, who normally reprints everything. Exactly, yeah. Times <laughs> As opposed to, you know, DC. I don't think DC's ever reprinted them either, to be fair. Yeah. Hey, did you see the, the DC solicits this week? I sores no. I saw I saw so the bleeding cool. You didn't see that they're doing the twelve thousand page uh collect hardcover of all the fifty two issues? Yes. So, I did see that. Is what that they, oh, sorry, worries. No no no, please go with that because I was kind of awestruck that they were doing Yeah, I was like, really? Are you doing it? No, what I was gonna say is they're doing paperback collect paperback editions of the Kirby Omnibus now as well. Oh, really? Big paperback editions of those? Yes. yes. Wow. Did they say what they were priced at? I could go and look. <laughs> no, no, no. It's totally fine because I don't need them in paperback. I mean, did no, I? No, but what, what I'm hoping is because I only own the um, Fourth World and the OMAC. Uh-huh. But if they do like losers in paperback, I'm definitely going to get that. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I suppose I would get that. As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually have the Demon. I think I have all of them in all of the stuff that they've reprinted in that larger format, except the losers, I think. You've read yeah. the losers, right? 
Yes, I have, and I thought it was glorious. But yeah, I think I checked it out of the library. So, um, and also the, uh, they're also doing because they've got the uh, DC Comics Presents. They're they've gone from doing like two a month to doing some like six this month. Wow. One of which is the DC Comics Presents the Jack Kirby Omnibus Sampler, which oh, is man. four stories from the Kirby Omnibus Volume One, which is the Green Arrow collections. Uh huh. The Green Arrow stories from the fifties. It's four of those stories for like eight dollars. Wow, that's kind of amazing. Jeez. So, I mean, there, there's some really weird, great but weird stuff. Yeah, there is, yeah, they're being they're being very odd about the stuff that they're putting out there. Um, also, best news I saw this week. You know the retroactive stuff that DC are doing. Yes, they're um, also digitally releasing other back issues from that era to oh, accompany the, the print release. Oh, that's great. That's great. That made me so happy. I was like, really? That's what you're doing? Yes, please. Yeah, because I've been reading that I just... I Did I make it all the way through the Firestorm? I think I made it through... I'm halfway through issue five. But between reading Firestorm and reading Ditko's The Creeper, where I'm I'm almost almost at the end with that, I'm just kind of like, yeah, some of this stuff, like, I don't know, kind of the classic. Even when not very good... Definitely it's completely entertaining. entertaining. Yeah. Completely entertaining. Yeah. Very, very fascinating. I don't know if it's just that kind of the extra historical layers or whatever that can get added to it, but yeah, it's such an interesting like the creepers, like I'm kind of shocked that no one's tried to make the creeper work like as a TV show or something like that. Because the more issues of that I read, the more I'm like, this was such an incredibly sort of marketable character in some ways like I'm just so oh, the, shocked the, the, the creeper is just like a, a, a like the, the demon such a completely perfect creation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah we were talking about this in fact this is exactly to where I had gotten in editing last week's podcast was where we were talking about how astonishingly self-contained they are and, and perfectly formed like almost right out of the gate yeah fact, I, I just I honestly just wish someone would bring them back like yeah. straight up yeah 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 well, yeah, exactly. I mean, with with a very little, you don't really need that much tweaking. That's just that, like every every time they do Jack Ryder nowadays, and he's essentially Bill O'Reilly, it's like no, no, you're doing it wrong. Well, what would you do? I'd like to make him Stephen Colbert, but I mean, maybe that's just that I, was I, me I, beforehand. I, I guess I just I just play him straight. I I think you can do the whole thing straight. <laughs> 